Hello, friends. Welcome to Chasing Hazel's Tales, a family history podcast where we'll deep dive into our family history stories and discoveries. We'll discuss our friend DNA and share some of the great connections that we have made. We may even spill some tea. But first, we're going to give you a little background about ourselves. So pull up a chair while we pour that first cup of tea. Who are we? We are Hazel's granddaughters. I am Kim McLaughlin, a.k.a. number four. I'm a wife, mother of two. I have a daughter-in-law and a new grandson. My paying job is an operating room nurse, but I've been doing genealogy research for about 35 years, and I've always wanted to do a podcast, but maybe a little different from others in that we highlight what we've learned from our research and the important connections that we've made. My obsession started when I was handed a lineage that said my sixth great-grandfather is General Johnny Burgoyne of Revolutionary War fame, so my maiden name is Burgoyne. I was hooked from that very day. But we'll get into that story in due time. There's lots of stories there. And I'm Laura Ireland, also known as number five. And I'm a wife and mother of three grown daughters. And I've got a few fur babies at home. I am a cardiac nurse by trade, mostly. I've done a few other things like most nurses have. Um, I would call myself a coattail genealogist. And by that, I mean that Kim has done most of the research uh, when it was all done on paper and, you know, trees written out and that kind of thing. And I've always appreciated what she did, but I was more like a sounding board. So I learned a lot along the way, but make no mistake, Kim is the one with the drive and the knowledge. And, uh, but and everything changed for me when DNA came into the picture. For some reason, I was suddenly very interested and have been looking at our breakdowns and analyzing matches ever since our results came in. So we are sisters living in Maine, and together we have been chasing Hazel's tales for a long time. And I can remember being curious about her when we were little, and we were just young kids wandering around our hometown of Enfield, Maine. Uh, we'd walk through the cemetery, and I can remember seeing her headstone, and was just always curious, but there was really no, there was no context for us. We didn't hear stories about our grandmother, we just didn't know anything. But um, through all of Kim's research and with other sources, such as old family letters, some oral history, and DNA results, that's enabled us to put some pieces together and get some information about Hazel. And it allowed us to get her to get to know her a little bit. Okay, so you're probably wondering why we call each other number four and five. We come from a family of five. So as you can imagine, Laura is the youngest at number five, and I'm the second youngest at number four. One of us, one of us five would call home and then mom and dad would communicate who was on the line by holding up fingers for which kid it was. <laughs> so they hold up four fingers for Laura, five for me. Oh, I'm sorry, nope, back. Nope. <laughs> they would hold up four fingers for me and five for her. And we went our whole life thinking this is how families do that. <laughs> or, you know, the old story, if mom couldn't remember your name, she just went through all of them knowing sooner or later she got the right name. Or she had another technique she sometimes used where she just called us all Gertrude. She'd get, uh, she'd run through the names and just say, oh, Gertrude. And uh, that seemed to be her safety net for whenever the names failed her. So now you know a little bit about us. Let's get to why we call it Chasing Hazel's Tales. Hazel was our paternal grandmother. We never met her because she died long before we were born. When we were younger, there was not much to, there was not much talk about her at all by anyone. All we knew about Hazel was what we termed the sad facts. Basically, she died young and left three children behind. Yeah, and the story, the little bit of story that we knew went this way, that when she died, 
our father and one of his sisters were basically left to raise themselves. And our father was just 11 at the time and probably his sister, maybe 13 or 14. I'm not exactly sure how old, but that the oldest sister was sent with their father's extended family and lived with them and was taken care of by them. And I can't say for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this part about uh, my father and his sister are true. I do know that uh, the oldest sister did live with the other family, but um, this is what I understood to be the truth. And um, there was, you know, while growing up, it always felt like there just wasn't, there was felt like something wasn't quite right in the family dynamic, but, you know, you just couldn't put your finger on it. Um, my perception was that it just wasn't a traditional family relationship. Holidays weren't spent together despite living in the same town and no real close family bonds. But, and that isn't to say anything negative about the other members of the family in any way, because they're all very lovely people, but it just didn't, just didn't feel like a traditional, um, traditional family relationship. And it would take reading Danny Shapiro's book, Inheritance, for me to put a name to that feeling that I had. Um, she spoke of the unthought known, which was first described by Christopher Ballas in the 1980s. And it's described as what we know, but cannot allow ourselves to think. So in, in her book, it, just a little briefly about Danny Shapiro's book, she got uh, unexpected DNA results and found out that the man she knew to be her father was not indeed her father. And she she wrote about her whole experience in that book. It's a very interesting read. But her willingness to share that personal story of her findings was so helpful to me. And I think to you too, Kim. She's very eloquent. Yes. And as when we were beginning to navigate our own findings that were surprising, and her podcast, Family Secrets, was also helpful. I, I would highly recommend both, if, just on a human interest level, or if you have any unexpected DNA and you're just kind of seeking to process it mentally. Right. It's a great, it's a great way to, and I think she, her story is very common, although she wrote about it eloquently and, um, and, you know, discussed all the different things that she went through as she processed her information, but it was really great. Right. But um, this is how we kind of felt about dad's mother. There was something kind of there. We couldn't put a finger on what it was. And by the time we were realized that we uh, were interested in figuring it out, most of the people that knew her had passed on. We didn't have anybody to ask. Right. And for me, it was like we had been looking at a puzzle where some of the pieces had been forced into places they didn't belong. Uh, that's my best way to describe it. I don't know. It's sort of like the, the picture looked right, but it was off in some way that we just couldn't quite name or figure out. Mm -hmm. So like we said, we didn't know much about our grandmother other than a few pictures and some sad facts. Basically, so she was born on March 3rd, 1909 in Sunshine, Deer Isle, Maine. Hazel lost her mom, Frances, a few months later from tuberculosis. Her mom was just shy of 38 years old. Then Hazel lost her grandmother, Mary Jane, less than a week later on July 2nd in 1909. So that year was not very kind to her. And the next thing we know, we find Hazel listed as an inmate in the children's home in Augusta in 1910. And I know that was the phrasing then. Everybody in a home of that sort was called an inmate. But really, it's just another sad fact. Hazel has come to symbolize all of genealogy to me, basically taking the facts 
and then filling in the details so we get to know her, so to speak. Right. And that's a great way to put it because she really has um, allowed us to get that full picture. Um, so I know it's surprising, but the other day or a little while ago at work, I was t- chatting with a coworker and DNA happened to come up as a topic. I don't know how that happened. Shock, shock. <laughs> but in that conversation, I mentioned Hazel and, um, you know, talking about our DNA findings and trying to figure out what the heck went on. And she thought that her mother, um, who was in her 90s at the time, had known Hazel. And she went home that day to ask her about it. And so, and it turns out she was right that her her mother actually had lived across the street from Hazel when she was a child. So when she brought up her name, uh, I guess her mother's eyes just lit right up and she clapped her hands together and said, oh, Hazel. Uh, like, and it just brought her such great memories. She had such wonderful memories of our grandmother. Um, she said, you know, how fun she was, how much she loved to have parties and the fact that she loved Halloween. And in fact, so much so that she either purchased or made, I don't know which, uh, costume for, uh, this young neighbor of hers for Halloween. And she's, she actually pulled it out of the trunk and they took a picture of it and sent it to me. And, uh, you know, eventually we'll get that picture put up on any on our Instagram or social media. Yeah. So that was very surprising that to get a picture of that little green dress uh, all those years. It, and it must have been at least 80 years. Um, that must have been pretty special to her to 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 hold on to that for 80 years. And we really would have loved to talk to her about it. But we're very thankful that we got to know about her comments. Yes. Yeah. It was a, it's a really big moment for me to actually hear from someone that spoke about that knew her and would, you know, would speak about our grandmother. And like you said, I do, I do wish we'd have been able to talk to her personally, but that wasn't to be so, but um, her memories of Hazel brought out, you know, brought up a new side to Hazel that I'd never known about, uh, you know, of course, cause we didn't really hear any stories. So this was the first time that I'd actually heard anything about her personality, you know, the happiness that she had, the, she liked to have fun and the dancing and the parties, um, her memories of our grandmother just made her very happy. And that just brought me so much joy. I was glad to really glad to know that, you know, something about Hazel that seemed normal because all we knew about her, like you said, were sad facts. It was, she had a very sad story right from the time, you know, losing her mom at her birth into her untimely death and then orphaning her own children. So um, it was really, it's really a great moment for me. Right. So next, we're going to talk about DNA because what? We, that's all we. That's all we want to talk. <laughs> that's about what we like. <laughs> so we both have, of course, you know, degrees in nursing, and it just, it just, it just speaks to us whenever we go what DNA, and it's a scientific study that mm-hmm. meshes with genealogy, and that's and that's what we do, and that's what we love. So, um, of course, so we had both of our families have taken DNA tests mainly because we were curious as to what ethnicity we were. Were we Irish? Were we English? German? Or were we really related to General Johnny Burgoyne? <laughs> That's what I want. That's a great know. question. <laughs> yeah, very good question. We all wanted to know if we were related to someone famous. Yeah, everybody does. Whoever takes a DNA test says, hmm, who am I related to that's famous? But of course, you know, so not, nothing like that panned out for us. But, <laughs> but I'm sure the King of England would be happy if uh, we, we were on his family tree. I, I'm I sure he'd be ecstatic. I know, but I don't think we are. 
<laughs> Probably not. And so I mentioned that that was the king of England because the queen just passed a few days ago. So now we're we're talking about King Charles III. Um, so my husband, of course, would like to remind me frequently that he had a claim to be a descendant of the great Irish high king, Nile of Nine Hostages. Did Andrew take a DNA test for this? You bet. Of course, I just kind of slipped him the test and take it and then we'll, well, I told him about it later. But I'm not going to give you any spoilers today. That story is going to come up later. It has their own reasons for testing. But what happens, you know, next probably is that you find out about an NPE. An NPE, that one is uh, what triggered, I think, Danny's book and what we've seen a little bit of. So that's a non-paternity event or a not parent expected. Yeah, not parent expected is what I know. Yeah, I think that's what you see the most. But, you know, in looking around at some other resources, I I heard a few other terms and I thought they were kind of comical. So uh, there was a list of paternity discrepancy, paternity fraud, surname switch, and undocumented adoptions. And uh, and I've never even heard of any of those, and I've been doing this a long time. So those were new. <laughs> well, that was on the, the Wiki ISOG site, the International Society of Genetic Genealogists. So it's that was that was a pretty informative for me. Yep. So we were not prepared for everything that followed the DNA results. Let's tell them about the time we the world stood still. For we call them pie charts, but that's what the ethnicity estimates are on ancestry.com and on many other platforms as well. But we call them pie charts because it's a breakdown of percentages. And, um, you know, you wait and you see, are you Irish or Italian? And you never know when that email will come in. Or what and on the, main, on the main screen, in our defense, it does look like a pie chart. Yeah. <laughs> until you get into the breakdown. So Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> so my results came in. You can picture this where, all of us, I've finally taken an international vacation. Kim and I were in Dublin, Ireland with my two daughters, Sarah and Whitney, and her daughter, Allison. So the five of us were having a grand old time in Ireland, and we were getting ready. We we're at the hotel on one of the mornings, and we're all ready, coming down the elevator, and we're coming across the lobby. And oh, an email ding came in and looked at my phone, and sure enough, our ancestry DNA results were back. <laughs> so, you know, we had to we had to immediately stop, hit the pause button and uh, take a seat and at least give a good glance at the results that came in. And I think Allison found that pretty funny. Yeah, we didn't get very far. Um, yeah, I think she maybe was like, really? Is this what we're going to do? We're supposed to be going out and see in Dublin, but no. So she snapped a picture of us and it kind of it was kind of indicative of what we do. <laughs> what? DNA? Wait, stop. We've got a pie chart to look at. We've got a pie chart. So everybody sit down. And the girls kind of just sat and they didn't even sit down. They were just rolling their eyes, looking out the window like, isn't that where we're supposed to be going out there? Um, <laughs> but we're going to share that picture on social media because Allison was so proud of of, of us. <laughs> yeah. And that just kind of, it really turns out that that was a, that was a defining moment, really, where mm -hmm. we get all the information that we need was right there. Right. In my inbox. So, but <laughs> in Ireland. It, yes, in Ireland. But yeah, we didn't pause for that long to be no. <laughs> you know, in our defense. It yeah. was, but anyway, so it would take us a little bit of time after receiving those results to figure out 
to, you know, to put all the pieces together and figure out the, the reality of our biological family history. It wasn't immediately apparent because, you know, you got to figure out what you're looking at first, I guess. But over time, we realized that there were connections that should be there that weren't there. And there were some close, I don't know if this term's out there or not, but I think I've coined a new term, unidentified DNA matches, UDMs. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that started us down the path that would lead us to the real story. But also, if I had a dime for every time Laura said, did you look at those centimorgans? (laughs) Those centimorgans don't seem right. So they might not have been unidentified, but they also may have been not centimorgans expected. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true too. Yeah, like some, yeah. Even though centimorgans, that's another that's another issue altogether. But still, Laura had a knack for seeing something wasn't quite right. I like looking at patterns, and yeah. if they don't match up, then I'm going to find it. Yeah. So, but you know, all these discoveries that we've made along the way from the neighbor who knew Hazel to, you know, the DNA results and to some perfectly kept old letters by a kind old uncle. It really just makes us wish more that we had known our grandmother. They, all of these things provided a context that would bring her to life for us at least a little bit. But now we can think of her in terms of her personality and her relationships and not just a lot of sad facts on paper and, you know, some old pictures. Right. You know, so some discoveries are expected, and of course, some are not. But just so, you know, this does not end with Hazel. So let's remember, you each have four grandparents. Uh, Hazel's only one of ours, and the rich stories are endless. When you have been researching a family history for 35 plus years, there will be curveballs and there'll be brick walls. I like and that I, combo. Yeah, that's right. It sounds good. It sounds awesome. So <laughs> just, just that's my quote. Curveballs and brick walls. That's, that's a weird mark. And... and <laughs> It is so true. It's so <laughs> um, true. Right. Our DNA matches are just one of the tools we, f- we use to fill in the blanks of your family story. But there are many ways to fill in those blanks. And we have found some doozies. So Hazel's story has left a big impression on us. In our next episode, we'll tell you what happened to that 18-month-old baby that was in the children's home. We want to share that with you. And what we want to do is every, every week or every episode, we want to just sort of peel back another layer and tell another story or another Hazel's Tale, if you will. So if you would please subscribe, rate, and review, we'd like to have your input. We'd also love you to share any stories that you want to talk about with us. If you found out anything interesting about your family history, whether it's through DNA or some other type of discovery, um, we'd like to hear about it. And you can email us at chasinghazelstales at gmail.com. And we want to give a big thanks to our daughters, Allison, Sarah, and Whitney, for helping us smooth out some of the rough edges and all their supportive comments. And might might be a rough start, but we, we will get polished and end up shining. Yeah, Allison, Sarah, and Whitney have been a big help. And, you know, we're, we're, in the, we're older <laughs> and they're tech savvy and cool savvy, and we're not so much, but uh, we want to give them a big a big shout out and and thank you. We have just so many stories and we're just getting started. We're heading into the fall. Um, And just a little note for me, if you were able to give, head on over to www.mainchildrenshome.org and check out their children's program. Um, They take all kinds of donations. And I've been donating for the past few years in Hazel's name. It's a very worthwhile effort. But the Maine Children's Home has been continuously running since 1899. So uh, give give that a check. 
So till next time, take care. And if you're wondering about your family history, take time to ask the questions of your loved ones. Don't wait. If you've done that, tell us the great story. We can't wait to hear it and we might share it if possible.